Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of the MLS DG Podcast. We are excited to be with you today to discuss what has been, I would say, an eventful U.S. men's national team window with these World Cup qualifiers. We're going to be breaking that down today with you, as well as going over the playoff race that we have before us. Six games left. There's only six games to go before we know who will be competing for a trophy at the end of the year. And there's a ton of teams left in the mix. We're going to take you deep into the look of the Eastern and Western Conference, give you an idea of who has the best schedule, who can make a run, and who could fall out. But we're going to be joined today and kick all of this off with talking about the U.S. men's national team with a returnee. Blaine Rifle is going to be with us today. Uh, many of you guys know Blaine from the Major League Soccer discussion group and community there. For those of you who don't know, Blaine is a contributor to the MLS Fantasy Boss and MLS Fantasy Insider podcasts. Um, he's also uh, going to be on Last Word on Sports. He's going to have some articles there. We'll make sure that he can plug himself a little bit later. But Avery and Blaine, how are both of you guys doing? I'm just peachy. Peachy for Avery and, and Blaine? I'm good. Happy to be back. Happy to be back. We're happy to have you back. We really enjoyed yeah, yeah, the, that last episode we had, John, being able to dive really into the fantasy side. But that's not what you're. That's not all you're known for. You got quite the opinions around the whole league, and especially about the U.S. men's national team. I, I'm safe to assume that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I've been told I'm a very opinionated person. Just a time or two. But you no, never. I, actually, you, I got my start doing articles and doing this type of stuff by writing a rant on the discussion group forum and got picked up by an editor and just I had another rant so I had another article and I'm here to kind of follow up some of that article because we just keep getting more fuel for the fire right now. More fuel for the fire. Hey, rants get you places, and I've got to say your opinions—they're always tough, they're always strong, but they're always—you always have stuff to back them up with. Sometimes I agree with you, sometimes I don't, but. I think today as we're discussing this specific window, but especially the U.S. men's national team in general, I'm excited to hear what you got to say. It's going to be some good stuff. I think firm but fair has always been a, a good way to describe Blaine's opinion. I love that. I love that. Firm but fair. Guys, let's dive right into this. We don't have Blaine the whole entire episode. He's going to be focusing on the U.S. men's national team with us. And so please, you got to listen up here because he's got a ton of stuff to say. Let me just real quick recap what just happened. And then Blaine, I want to throw it at you for just some initial thoughts. We just played three games. We got a 2-0 win, Jamaica. We lose at Panama. And then of course, we have the game that we win in Columbus, 2-1 over Costa Rica. That means we're taking six points from a possible nine. There's a bunch of things here, a bunch of perhaps questions about rotation of players about the quality of the team that of course come into question after every camp but you got to say that this one was maybe a bit of a disappointment in a lot of terms but let's just throw it at you Blaine there's good and there's bad what sticks out to you you take six points in a qualifier window in CONCACAF and you're happy I just that's first and foremost we've done that all along these road games are tough we've We've struggled with certain teams on the road. It's just, it's the way CONCACAF is. The only team that really cruises through all of the road games is Mexico with their high-paid stars that have been playing in Europe a lot longer than our guys. It's just, it's, it is the way it is. Handily beating Jamaica, who is obviously down right now. Yeah. I, I don't want to bag on Jamaica too much, but they had some key players decide not to show up. 
and everything. Jamaica is down. Taking care of business is good. Heavily rotated side against Panama. I've got some concerns there, but it, it, it's nothing to panic about. And then I think the Costa Rica game was about as perfect as you can get. Um, with these young guys, backs against the wall, giving up a first-minute goal is sometimes the spark a team needs. Uh, they responded well. They came in. They took care of business. They got the win. It's just it looks really bad. We never want to see those early goals, but I think the result and what the team learned from that is going to be invaluable going forward. Yeah, this is a big learning process. These guys, they're still young. We had the youngest ever starting lineup for a World Cup qualifier in these last window in that Costa Rica game. So it's fair to say that the youth is going to and inevitably will play a big role in the road to Qatar. But that doesn't necessarily mean that our guys are are shy from living up to the to the lights, right? They are playing all around the world. Of course, there was a bunch of guys from MLS, but that didn't stop us from bringing in guys from Europe that you would expect to be able to do well. And, and they had up and down moments throughout this whole window, if you will. Yeah, on yeah. The, uh, you say youngest squad ever, 22 and a half years old was the average age of the starting players. Our goalkeeper was Stefan this time, and he was between two to three years senior of everybody else on the team. That, yeah. that, that's a young, young squad. Uh, six players under tw- or 21 or under that started that game, which is a first for us. Well, I think that, that folks are really under, uh, I don't want to call it a delusion because that's a little bit rude, quite frankly, but this is not the, the Panama team of, you know, four years ago. This is not the Panama team of uh, November of 2020 when we beat them 6-2 in a friendly. The, the way that Thomas Christensen has transformed the way that these guys play. Let me throw some numbers at you. So Panama have scored 19 goals in the first round of qualifying and conceded just one. That was second only to Canada, who scored 27. They're sitting in fourth place, which is the playoff spot that they uh, qualified in in 2018. And if you look at the average age, it's a complete transformation. It's not as young as the, the side that we faced in November. But if anyone is thinking that this is the, you know, sit and, and bunker and counter Panama team of, uh, of years yeah. past, they, they haven't been paying attention. You know, Thomas Christensen is, is of Danish origin, but Spanish national, and he's having them play in a very progressive way. And I think it showed against uh, the U.S. I mean, looking at the, the possession stats is even just enlightening. You look at the the games that we played against Jamaica and Costa Rica, averaging about 60% possession. We were barely above 50% in Panama, and most of that was completely meaningless uh, circulation of the ball. Uh, I mean, I, I think that people need to recognize that the teams in CONCACAF are a lot better than they, they were in the past. And look, in some ways, MLS is to blame for that because it's becoming a feeder league for a lot of these Central American countries. But just because we're under this supposed golden generation, who, by the way, barely has any experience in CONCACAF, doesn't mean that the the countries around us aren't getting better, too. Yeah. And I think that there's a certain level of elitism uh, that exists among the U.S. soccer fan base to not recognize and acknowledge that. 
I think it's necessary for the growth of the game in CONCACAF to be able to see that and be excited about it. But it's also okay to be frustrated that, you know what, this U.S. national team, we pride ourselves on being the best. We, of course, look, we got two trophies over the summer. And then we go to Panama, we lose in Panama. I think it's okay for people to be upset, but you do need to understand the perspective of it that, yeah, Panama is a better team than I think a lot of people, to your point, Ivory, have estimated them for. They are a ton better. But we can also say that we've gotten better. The guys in MLS over the past decade, when you we're looking at how Panama used to play in, in the last qualifying cycle, which we qualified for, yeah, it was that counter and, and, and go offense that we saw. But it has gotten more progressive, as has MLS. MLS has changed the style of play to be able to be more attacking, more balanced even, and it's pushed everybody up a level. So yeah, Panama can go up a level, and we love to see it. But these guys, especially in a Panama squad that had a bunch of MLS players featuring and even starting, you want more. Well, and let's be clear. I think there are genuine criticisms of Berhalter and of the players, but these constant calls to have him fired, regardless of the results, which frankly, look, six points out of nine, that's about as good as it's going to get. I expected seven, you know, usually the perception is we can grab a, a draw away in Panama. It's a hard place to play. But all things considered, uh, it, with this crowd, it doesn't matter what the result's going to be. It, it's, you know, they've built a case against him. It's, you know, the brother situation. It's the fact that he coached in MLS. It's the fact that he has favoritism for certain players. Uh, none of those things are going away regardless of his results. And I don't think that anyone's minds are going to change regardless of circumstances. You said it yourself, we won two trophies this summer. Yeah. And I don't think half this crowd has, you know, batted an eye. Yeah. What do you yeah, got to say, getting- Blaine? You're getting into some of those weird topics that, like, we took six points. We had a good result. We took five points in the first one. I mean, we're sitting second in the group. That's where you want to be. You're looking at getting these. Everybody freaks out. Oh, we lost to Panama. We should have gotten a draw. But I'll take a loss in Panama to get the win against Costa Rica at home. Costa Rica is honestly a stronger team a lot of times, Um, bringing in a lot of veterans. I think they had... While we were playing six players under 21, they were playing six players over 30 or over 33. Yeah. Like It's insane the amount of skill and quality that team has had. And we sent Kaylor Navas to the bench. Like He is one of those outstanding goalkeepers from the region who has just made it work in Europe. We sent him to the bench at halftime. I, I don't mean, know I that thought was... that was an injury, if we're being honest. But... Well, I, yeah, I don't know. But still, it's just... We, we got through, we got, it's just, we're doing the right things. Greg's doing what he has to do to get this. But where my argument comes in, and one of the big things I talked about last time is, fans aren't recognizing this for what it is, and U.S. soccer's not billing this for what it is right now. This is a full-blown rebuild of the team from the ground up. Yeah. Um, I've got numbers that can back some of that up. Um, I actually, right before the show, wanted to find the last World Cup qualifiers that Bruce Arena managed um, to bring his core in. That was the guys that were supposed to be ready to go at that moment and build for the future. And he didn't bring in all of the old men of the game that we had come to rely on like Dempsey. Yes, Dempsey was there, but Dempsey was the old man there, and we knew his future was done. There were a couple other guys that we had a lot of hopes that would be there. 
But when you get down to it, all three goalkeepers from Bruce Arena's squad retired or have been retired from the national team, with Guzan being the only one still playing. Um, but it was time for a goalkeeper change. We knew that. But 14 of the 20 field players from that last-ditch effort to try to qualify have not come back to the team. And a couple of them that are still around, one of them is Bobby Wood, who has been dropped all the way down to USL play. Yeah, I mean, he's left Europe. He's now playing in USL. He was on that roster. And then uh, Tim Ream's the one that's kind of returned and actually done a little bit more from the older crowd. The rest of them, as I was looking through that list, it was surprising. Ariola was quite a bit younger at that point. He was not the seasoned veteran he is. DeAndre Yedlin was, I think, fresh off of a move to Europe. Pulisic it was coming out. And then Kellen Acosta is the other name. He was there in 2017. I think a lot of people forget that he's got CONCACAF experience, unlike some of the other guys. And while we kind of bag on him that he may be a little limited in what he does, he's still not that old and has CONCACAF experience. So it's it's really hard to, when you, when you hear those names, it's hard to just say, oh, Greg's doing a horrible job. Look at the returning guys from the last World Cup cycle that he's had to work with. Well, and that's the thing. We're supposed to be in the midst of the the peak of some of these guys. And I think that we've forgotten, or at least we're not acknowledging, that, that this was the lost generation. This was the generation that uh, tanked at the U-20 World Cup. This is the generation that failed to qualify for two Olympics. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a reason that this went into a full rebuild. Yes, we have this golden generation now, but... Most of these guys weren't supposed to be starting for the national team until the 2026 cycle, quite frankly. And we've yeah. gotten them started early because we have nobody else. Yeah, and and I think that from, this is going to sound weird, but from a marketing standpoint, it's easier to, after you fail for a World Cup, obviously 2017, that fiasco, it's so much easier to hit the refresh button to keep people and fans engaged and excited, saying like, yeah, our old guys may have failed. But look at our new guys, right? And I think there's the question of, hey, did we rush some of these guys? We don't really have. And that was one of the big things at the beginning of Burhalter, Because look how many debuts he's given. He's given so many debuts to the national team or to World Cup qualifying. And where's the consistency? Because, yeah, some of these guys who in the last World Cup cycle failed and whatnot. But you'd still want some of those leaders. And I feel like this team... For as young as they are, for as inexperienced as they are, they're doing pretty well. Um, but to your point, Avery, these guys have also had a history of of failing in international play at the younger stages. And so this can't just be a given for them to walk into these starting lineups, to walk into Azteca, as we're going to see in the next few months, to get points, to get results, because they haven't had that. And the guys who you would hope who have been there have been exiled from the team or have retired, or all these kind of different situations. And so this is going to be really interesting moving forward. Yeah, be proud of where we're at, but don't be satisfied, because this CONCACAF is getting so much more difficult, and without kind of those veteran leaders, it's just going to become more of a dogfight as we move forward. Well, I think we have two really interesting contrasting things here, because I think if you look at, for instance, the... um the pre-squad for the Gold Cup, right? We have 60 players that's arguably considered, you know, this is basically the the player pool at this moment in time, right? Yeah. 
look look how many of those guys are you know under 23 look how many of them are are never before capped that speaks to so many different volumes the fact that this is the core of our entire player pool and most of these guys have never received a cap before add to that that there is growing pains and a lack of consistency with young players on the one hand we have the performances that we had in the the last cycle where we're only getting five points out of a possible nine but then you know you can point to some of the performances in the gold cup you can you know point to beating mexico in nations league you can point to the performance that we had in this cycle of costa rica it's a matter of getting these guys reps of establishing that consistency uh you know i've said time and time again that some of these guys have shown they don't necessarily have the grit that we're used to seeing with the men's national team and i i think that's not necessarily you know a criticism of their character but they just haven't been there they haven't done that we forget how long some of the other guys were in and around the national team i mean yeah guys like dempsey donovan uh boca negro you know you you can name the list these are guys who are up there with you know the most number of caps for the national team they started when they were 18 19 years old and they went into their 30s the fact that you have to rebuild from all of that experience and you're without your most experienced players in your entire history i mean yeah. it's like blaine said it's it's a full rebuild yeah yeah and to you throw can, some Oh, Sorry, go ahead. To throw some numbers at it, do you guys know on this current roster that we just had who the most capped player is? Uh, I would assume Kellen Acosta, maybe. DeAndre Yedlin had sixty-seven oh, games. Yeah, that makes sense. Going into this, going into it, number yeah, two is Zardes. Everybody else is in the forties. Everybody else is getting in the forty caps. Uh, Brooks and Ream are at forty-five and forty-six. Um, Ariola's got 41. That was a shock to me. I did oh, not wow. expect that number to pop out. But he was around in the 2017 qualifier series. Yeah. Um, but, and look, the fact of the matter is, Brooks would probably be closer to 80 if he were actually fit huh. constantly. Yeah. Um, and then just for reference, two guys that we have a lot of hopes, high hopes for. Pulisic's at 40 caps right now. And he's been kind of a mainstay when he's been healthy with this team. He should be a little higher. And then Jordan Morris has 39. Um, and I know he's injured yeah. right now. He would be another great oh, addition to back. this squad, playing on the wing, doing what he does. But where you start looking at these numbers, and those are our guys with 40. Everybody else in the player pool right now is 30-something, mid-30s or lower. Uh, it, it, it's astounding when you think about that. And then you look, how many games does the national team play every year between friendlies and all that? You get, you get an opportunity for 10 to 20 caps a year, depending on what's going on. We'll throw the COVID year out and cut that number down a little bit. But Pulisic's had a few injuries, missed a little bit, was young, still has averaged about 10 caps a year. Um, same way with some of the other guys. Ariel is that same way. He wasn't getting a ton of time, but he got... I mean, if you start considering you're averaging about 10 to 15 caps a year, most of our guys in the 30, they've got two years of experience at this level. Yeah. Well, and that's the problem. People aren't considering the essentially a COVID gap year. You look at between injuries and, you know, 
scheduling issues. Tim Weah is a guy who should probably be in the 20s or 30s by virtue of the fact that he made his debut in like 2018. He was one of the first guys that Dave Sarkin called up. Yeah. yeah, and was really impressing while he was on alone at Celtic, and that he had a nightmare—I don't know, year and a half of injuries. You know that he would have been getting consistent call-ups if he were actually fit, and that's the question and/or the thing that keeps on getting brought up with this group of players. It doesn't matter how much talent you have if you can't stay fit. You know, if you're you have a phenomenal you know front three of of Giovanni Reina, Kristen Pulisic, and Tim Weah. And they're never available. What good are they? Yeah, no, I Matt, think I think that's a good point. Yeah, Matt Pollard threw out a great stat at me on Twitter. Uh, last word on soccer editor that I know really well. Um, Adams, McKinney, and Pulisic. I think we'd consider those the core three coming out after the 2018 cycle was over. And then you could throw Reyna in there now. But those were the three we identified right away. Those were the three that are going to lead this team combined. 600 minutes on the field together. That's it. Mm, yeah. And we're talking three years. 600 minutes, three years. That's unheard of. You don't get a core group of guys playing that little together and yeah. succeed at these levels. Yeah. It, it's one of those things that you look at the, the midfield three that we saw at times this um, window of Adams, McKinney, and Musa, that can be our midfield for the next 10 to 15 years. But all three of those guys have consistent issues. Yeah. And that's where kind of that depth is, has been really brought on, in my opinion, by the COVID year. And so we have this jam-packed schedule. So, hey, I'm bringing in like 30 guys a camp. Here's some ways we're going to be able to build depth. I don't think we would have gotten that in other years. And so it has been nice to see, okay, we're going to have guys inevitably be unfit or for whatever reason, they're not going to be able to come in. And this is where I want to get your guys' opinion about the, the U.S. team in this window right here. We had a lot of people uh, look at the gameplay of some of the guys who, you know what, they may not be our main starter. Obviously, everybody has their ideal lineup. There's questions and people have different preferences like, oh, I want Turner over Stefan or, hey, best best combination in the back is Miles Robinson, Walker Zimmerman, or John Brooks, whoever it is. But let's look at some of the other pieces that are inevitably expected through rotation. And a lot of those guys end up being MLS players. If we're looking like you brought up the midfield right there in the Panama game, we saw guys like Sebastian Legette. We saw guys like Kellen Acosta. We've seen guys like Gianluca Busio make his uh, debut in this world cup qualifying cycle here. When we're looking at the depth and when we're looking at perhaps this next window, we've learned what we've learned from this window. There's big issues. There's good things to be happy about. And there's an understanding that fans need moving forward, right? But you got to expect some changes to this lineup and to this, to this roster. What changes are you guys wanting to see moving forward that perhaps are going to be able to help provide the best player combinations or the gameplay that we're going to need throughout the rest of these qualifiers. Blaine, is there anybody just off the bat that you can think of that you'd like to see? Or would I mean, like to see? I, yeah, I don't want to get too negative on these guys because I really don't think anybody's that bad when it comes to this team. Um, I know Legette's gotten a ton of heat for that Panama game. And honestly, I don't think it's fair to throw that much 
throw that much at him. He di- he didn't. He's not that bad of a player to not come back. The problem is he was wasted where he was played. That was the worst possible situation to throw him in at. We know he's got a few weaknesses in his game. That's why he's an MLS regular at 29. He's never made re- really made the jump to Europe. He's never had that opportunity to go up to that next level. We know he's got some deficiencies. But he's he didn't play bad. He was set up poorly to play. Oh, I think- and with Acosta, Acosta plays better when he's allowed to float. So I'm gonna I'm gonna really pinpoint that um, Panama game and blast Bearhalter for how he set up that midfield. It was wrong. It was just it was wrong. He didn't utilize good players in the way that makes them successful. The lineup torched the way that midfield played, and it showed. Now, it's I don't like being that negative without offering something better. Okay. If you're not, if you're going to rest Adams, I think your next best option is to start Busio next to Acosta in a double pivot. I think that uh, frees up Acosta to do what Acosta does best: to float a little bit, to play a little bit more box to box, knowing he's got Busio beside him, and then you bring that play, that deeper playmaking ability of Busio to the field as well, and really help bolster an anemic attack out of the midfield. That's my suggestion. I don't know if it would have been a whole lot better, but that's my suggestion that I would throw out there. And then it takes out your weak link, which was a or was legit in some of that. Yeah. But no, I to get to to get to your main point, I don't know that there's any names that I say are just absolutely gone. I don't have it. the only one that comes to mind is Bello just looked outclassed on yeah. defense. I think we I think it's time to give somebody else a shot to see if they can do it and play that role a little better. A healthy I think bringing in some of your other young names, if a guy picks up an injury, if you're not sold on a couple of guys. Um, I love De La Torre, but I could see him getting dropped out of the midfield if Paxton Pomacall becomes healthy. If we're looking for another 10, Jordi Mihailovic should come in. I really like him and he's what he's doing in really MLS well. this year. I think we're a little bit thin at number 10. In the absence of Reyna, we really don't have a good fallback. So I would be I'm I'm a little higher on Mihailovic more as a as a positional replacement rather than just total ability. Yeah. I think there's some names that could come into this roster real easy to fill gaps that we have. But overall, I don't have a lot of complaints with how the how the team's been built, how they've been set up because I think they're doing the job they want to do. And it's just, it, we had an A team and a B team over the summer. The A team won the first tournament and the B team won the second tournament. Yeah. And it was really not an A and a B. It was more like an A1 and an A2. And now we've got to merge those two teams together and get the chemistry down between them. And when you have guys missing, like we have, when Pulisic is out, when Reyna is out, when a key part of our attack is gone, you've got to figure out who's going to be able to play well together in their absence. And so we're seeing a little bit of rotation because that's how you yeah. rebuild a team. You've got to find out who can make the cut and who can't. And so that's a long-winded answer, but that's what Bearhalter is doing right now. And so far, I don't, I haven't seen a single performance outside of maybe Bellow that says probably need to find somebody else right away. But I'm not 100% sold on any of those guys. Any of yeah. these guys have to come back because there are some other options that may fit in better. Yeah, and especially that position versus talent thing that I, I like that you talk about. Ivory, I know I saw you. I know you guys can't see us. This is a completely audio podcast. <laughs> We're not that cool for video. But 
As soon as Blaine brought up the legit Acosta positioning, I saw Avery guys, and you need to see him. He was he was freaking out. He's like waving his hand. He's got this face that's just like I've got something to say about that. Avery, let's turn it to you. Do you agree? Do you disagree with what Blaine said? I disagree, but I disagree in very specific areas. First off, I want to say I think the rotation issues are completely overblown. I think you look at the guys who are mostly missing through injury. No Ethan Horvath, no John Brooks, no Tim Ream, no Richie Cannon, no Sam Vines, no Pulisic, no Sargent, no Pifak, no Reyna. That's half a starting lineup right there. So if you're looking at guys in terms of a depth chart, if all those guys are healthy, yeah, some of these guys who play in Panama probably either aren't playing or they're not on the roster. So let's, let's you know, slow our horses here. The area where I disagree with Blade is, is twofold. One, I think we should have played a 3-5-2 against Panama. Uh, I know it was an abject failure in the, the previous window. I do think that Greg actually abandoned it too soon because I, I think we saw how well it worked in Gold Cup and how it worked against very specific types of CONCACAF teams. And I think it would have enabled us to get the best out of Bello and... Um, Shaq Moore, was that... Shaq who's... Moore, thank you, yes, uh, on the wings because they were just not making runs and not contributing into the attack in that game. The area that I have a problem with Legette is his lack of movement off the ball and his tendencies in terms of passing. I think he's more effective either as a, you know, a wide player who's just going to grind or someone who is you know, potentially, I don't know, maybe more pinched in. But the, the ideal situation where I've seen, at least in a 4-3-3, uh, U.S. midfielders. I think we saw it against Costa Rica, and I think we saw it to a more extreme degree against Jamaica. We shouldn't be playing with a number 10. We should be playing with a 6 and two eights because the runs that McKinney and Eunice Musa were making where the way that Musa carries the ball or oh, yeah. the, the, the spaces that McKinney finds as... He's not even necessarily a deep-lying playmaker, but he just knows how to find certain passes. You know, it's not the flashy, like, cross-field diagonal, but the, the the pass that he played for Anthony Robinson that went to uh, Brendan Aronson on the second Jamaica goal, where he, he finds the space in between the defenders to play the channels was absolutely phenomenal. And it's, oh, yeah an example of play of how we should be playing every single game because the the relationship between the wingers is such where, you know, a winger may decide to tuck in, which allows the fullback to overlap. Or on the right side, in that case, you know, uh, Serginio Destes is coming into midfield a lot of yeah. the time and he's acting as a playmaker trying to play one to his and then Eunice Musa comes out wide and then Tim Weah goes into the channel almost as a second striker. It's these patterns of play where we're at our best and I don't think you necessarily need a playmaking type to play that style. We saw Greg Berhalter try it out with a deep line playmaker in the form of um, everybody's favorite San Jose midfielder huh. Uh and and I just I don't think it works against teams in Concacaf the way that they play now. Yeah. Because 
teams aren't sitting back and bunkering anymore. No. I think it's one thing if you're, you know, trying to, you know, find spaces and, you know, uh, you know, take advantage of a team playing very narrow, you know, four block or whatever. But we haven't really seen that so much in CONCACAF. No, no. Uh, you know, I think with with the three five two, also the the fact that you can have somebody playing off of Ricardo Pepe. You know, I know it's never going to happen at the very least in qualifying, but I think the relationship that Jesus Ferreira and Ricardo Pepe have in the way that they play the oh. two striker system in Dallas is phenomenal because you have that like big man and little man where. Ferreira is making runs in behind. He's a little bit more predict- unpredictable. He'll drop back. You know, he'll play off of, of Pepe. Uh, just to have that kind of situation where you don't know which run is coming. And I think that's one of the things that Tim Way is so phenomenal at that we really only saw in the Costa Rica game because he was playing on his less favored side in the other game. But the decision to, you know, not just make the out to in run but sometimes the into out the you know that was one of the the problems in the panama game where you look at the runners where it's the striker and the wingers yeah. everyone is making the same run into the box no that's true that's true i think that first of all i think both of you guys bring up really good points and as we're looking specifically at this panama game obviously this is the one that stuck out in this window between the three games it being a loss and there's a lot of things that you could critique on Hey, maybe moving forward we could do this. I agree with you, Avery, that perhaps we did abandon that formation. But I really like uh, what Blaine brought up about the whole, hey, we got to look at guys perhaps positionally before talent. And those kind of things are the questions that Burhalter is asking moving forward as we're looking to these other windows. Because there's guys from this camp that obviously stood out and will succeed in a lot of different lineups. Obviously, you mentioned Ricardo Pepe. Uh, Eunice Musa, fun fact about Eunice Musa, in the Costa Rica game, he connected 90% of his passes and connected 100% of his passes in the final third. And that right there is something that you want to see from your midfield engine, your creative guy, your, your really young creative guy. And it's going to give Burhalter options, whether that's formation-wise, whether that's positionally-wise, that's going to make the very fun moving forward. And I want to pitch two things to you guys looking forward before we kind of move forward with this. I want to look at two positions really quickly, one a little bit quicker than the other, about what we do next game. We've talked a ton about the midfield, right? And we could talk that to death. There's a lot of different options, a lot of talented, a lot of depth in a lot of places. Um, one, were, one, one quick question that I had from somebody. When we're looking at the goalkeeper position, after these games... Turner, Stefan, who's your starter? Uh, this is probably one of my few and most vehement criticisms of Greg Berhalter. You have to pick one and stick with it. We are at the point where it's inexcusable to make these rotations at such a crucial position. Look, I get wanting to get Stefan minutes. He's not getting it at the club level. Some managers do that to keep their players fresh. Some managers do that to, you know, get guys a, a look yeah. so that they can earn a transfer elsewhere. At this point in time, you have to establish the chemistry between Turner and his defense, regardless yeah. of whether it's the same four guys in front of him. The fact that he's the only one in form and getting regular club minutes, he's getting better with his feet. You know, you have to build something at the back 
where you have consistency at the national level because you don't have that anywhere else within the team. That's the very nature of international soccer because you you can't really work on a very specific playing style and patterns of play and that kind of thing. Control the controllables and having a keeper who is going to be a leader and who's going to organize his defense vocally is a huge, huge building block. So who's that? Who's that leader for you? You got to choose one. It's it's got to be Matt Turner. He's the only one who's playing right now. I I would agree with that. Blaine, is that who you're staying I, with? So I watched the games and I love seeing Stefan get a run out. Like, and I'm not I don't have a dog in the fight. I just I saw what Stefan can do. He's been riding the bench in Europe, only playing select tournament games or whatever. Stefan's got the higher ceiling. I don't think anybody can really deny that. I think Stefan's honestly going to be the better goalkeeper in the long run, but he's not starting for his club. And he's out of form. Now, he looked, other than the first-minute gaff, which he kind of got hung out to dry, too, he looked really good in that game. I loved what I saw. I think we have a definite debate on two goalkeepers here, but he's not starting. Yeah. And so I have to go with Matt Turner, who's starting regularly, getting regular minutes. We can count on him to be game-ready and sharp. Um, You can't be asleep for the first five minutes of the game like Stefan was. Now, that woke him up, and he came on strong. He was making some incredible saves, some saves that I think Turner gets most of them, but there may be one or two of those that Turner doesn't get to. It's just the way they kind of play. I I think Stefan has a lot higher ceiling if he could play. Yeah. But right now you're talking about a guy who's not playing versus a guy who is playing. That's one. Then if you ask me, the better penalty stopper is going to be Turner. Yeah. And if you're going into a tournament and that's on your mind, you don't want to have to waste a sub to put in your PK stopper. You want your PK stopper warmed up and in games. And in that's a tiebreaker thing. We never were going to put Ramondo in goal ahead of Howard or Guzan when Howard was out just because he's the better PK stopper. That's not a thing. But now if all other things are equal, you take your PK stopper as a tiebreaker. Yeah. And so Turner, uh, Turner's got it right now. It, I would love to see Stefan get a move in January, go somewhere where he can well, play every game. And then next summer, we'll see. Go into get tuned up for World Cup. We'll see where those two are at. But if Turner's got the chemistry with the guys... It's going to be really hard to unseat him at that point for me. I just We've had so much rotation in the back for the last, yeah. honestly, 10, 15 years. We had, we had a core group of guys that went through 2010 solid. And then we've and never had a pair locked down the center back role. We've never had a defense that really just stepped up and yeah. said, no, this is our job. And We're still looking at kids trying to step up and fill that gap. So it, it it's really hard for me to say let's start messing with the goalkeeper when we don't have yeah. a defense that can actually lock down a starting role. Well, I think well, and quite frankly, I, I would extend that to the rest of the squad. Guys like Reggie Cannon and Shaq Moore should not be getting called in. I think we saw at certain points with Shaq Moore, uh, maybe it's just the number of games that he played in that window with not having played week in, week out for his club squad, but you have to lean on guys who are playing and in form. And I think this is not a new idea. You look at previous World Cup qualifying squads, you know, people didn't really talk about the MLS situation as much because those were guys who were coming in, whether it's, you know, a Connor Casey and Alan Gordon, whomever, 
who are providing, you know, value off the bench and in very specific situations. Look, they're probably not going to make the World Cup qual, uh, the World Cup final squad, uh, and they haven't in the past. But this is a win now situation. Yeah, you have to qualify and then worry about who you're taking to the tournament after the fact. Yeah, and. Frankly, you can't lean on guys who aren't playing week in, week out. That rustiness is going to cost us goals. Yeah, especially uh, at the you back. Know, and if that means playing a guy who's not necessarily to the specifications of what Greg wants from a certain position, then so be it. Change your philosophy. You have to be fluid at the national team level. You know, maybe Aaron Ferreira doesn't, or sorry, Herrera, uh, go forward as much as you'd like. Maybe Joe Scally isn't as much of an attacking guy. Um but they're playing week week out, and they're playing well. Yeah. No, I think that that's a great position to bring up there because it's not just the goalkeeper position. I think when we're looking at the positions where we say we have depth, a lot of the depth isn't playing week in and week out, uh, but they've got talent. They've got a high ceiling. To go to go take a step back, one of the things that I, I liked that both of you brought up in this is how can you play somebody if they're not playing regular minutes? Can we agree about that? They're just... That's a big thing, right? And it, it brings that consistency, which leads to my next question here, okay? This is one that I think is going to be really interesting to kind of close out. Remember, I want us to look forward now. We've kind of talked about this camp. We talked about the goods, the ups and downs. We're talking about moving forward with this goalkeeper. The next thing I want to talk about, our forward situation, we typically have a three, a front three, but... We, we can all agree Ricardo Pepe is likely the, the starter at the number nine this next window. He's getting regular minutes. He's producing. Young, talented guy. Uh, looks like he has a move to uh, Wolfsburg in the, in the mix. But looking at the wings, I think everybody assumes Gio Reyna, Christian Pulisic on our wings. And yes, they are incredibly talented. But both have be, been injured. Polisic in particular, even before that, had fallen out of favor in Chelsea. Personally, let's say they're all healthy. That's what is expected to be. Do you start Polisic and Reyna against Mexico? Or are you going to start guys like Brendan Aronson, who is getting regular minutes and producing at the international level as well? He has nine goals and assists for the U.S. men's national team in his past 11 games. Christian Polisic has one goal, no assist in his past 10 international games. That one goal from a penalty spot, not even from the run of play. So that's something to consider looking at these things. I would argue Pulisic is the more talented, but to Blaine's earlier point, you got to look at the position. We got to look at form at who's playing regular minutes. I'd say you got to add Tim Weah into that conversation. Yeah, that's that's another point. He's perfect for CONCACAF. The fact that he has straight line speed, that he keeps it simple. One of my biggest criticisms of Christian Pulisic in the last, I don't know, year to year and a half is that he overcomplicates things on the dribble. He's too much in his own head. He's got too much of a weight on his shoulders. If you just get at guys, especially on the counterattack, we can tear CONCACAF defenses apart. What would you say, Blaine? This is, this is such a tough question because I almost want to go back to coaching in any sport and especially soccer. When you're picking your five guys to take penalty kicks in a shootout, you hear coaches say they go look at the guy's eyes, and if a guy looks scared, he's not taking one. Like, if a guy looks confident, he is. 
Aronson's one of those guys right now that I think you look at him and he's fearless. He's out there trying yeah. to make a name for himself. I think he's hungry. I, I he just he's put it all together. And it's really hard for me to say let's bench Pulisic against Mexico. But if we if I was going to do it, I'm not doing it for anybody else. But if I was going to do it, Aronson, if he's hungry and ready to go and wants to play alongside Pepe, the chemistry those two have, like they make a strong case for it. And it's not that I think Aronson's the better player. It's not that I think he's hands down going to be the best guy we've got. I just think the situation is so far outside of his head that it's not going to get to him. This isn't like we're throwing some seasoned vet in there. Who knows what this is like. If he goes down to Azteca, his first game playing against Mexico, and that's what he gets, I could see him going absolutely crazy on the defense and just having a monster game. So I don't know. Now, if Reyna's healthy, Reyna's playing for me. I I think Reyna's probably the least replaceable player. Yeah, Reyna, I think, is just the least replaceable player we have on this roster at the moment. Um, he's He does something that nobody else does. He controls the center of the field like nobody else we have at the moment. I threw out Mihailovic earlier. I think Mihailovic is another player who could emulate that a little bit. And in the absence of Reyna, I want to see him in there. But I would rather do what you guys were talking about and play with the six and two eights in something like that if Reyna can't go, especially against Mexico. Yeah. A little bit more defensive shape there or something like that. I just Reyna's my number one guy and I don't see a clear replacement for him in the current yeah. group that we've had called up. Uh Pulisic is probably more replaceable. Like we like I said, I Aronson's there, Wea can go play that side, Hoppy can play that side. You can flip them in and out. We've got some other names that aren't in the current roster that I like on the wing that we could bring in. Mason Toy is a name that really hasn't gotten a cap yet. He's been in with the squad, but I could see him. Like, if you've got a couple of injuries, he's another guy. Like, we've got Jonathan Lewis is another guy playing in MLS. He plays that same kind of position and style. And I'm not, I'm not saying these guys need to be on the field. <laughs> yeah. I'm just saying, look at the depth chart we have there. I can go through and pull four or five names out for that. I can't I'll pull look, four or five names I'll, out. Yeah, I'll, I'll agree with you there in the sense that I, I think you look at certain guys. Look, if Jordan Morris is fit, I'm happy to, to see him yeah. involved. And that's you know, the name, a, that's a name Nick, I forgot. If When Jordan Nicholas, Morris comes back, he's competing directly for minutes with Pulisic on that wing. Nicholas Giacchini, uh, Conrad De La Fuente. Uh, we have options. That's the beautiful thing, especially in those areas. I yeah. make the argument it doesn't necessarily need to be an either-or situation. I know he didn't look great in midfield in the couple games that he played there, but Aronson has played there throughout most of his career. And I think the value that brings as a third runner making, you know, late crashes into the box, that's how he got most of his goals as a Philadelphia union player. Well, here's my, here's my case. Okay. I've thought about it and whatnot for me. If I'm going into Mexico, let's say all these guys are healthy, Rain is healthy, Pulisic's healthy, Aronson's healthy, all of them, right? Which somehow somebody won't be healthy. But for me, I'm starting Ricardo Pepe at the top, right? I'm starting Giovanni Reyna on one wing, and I'm starting Brendan Aronson on the other. I I think Pulisic for a long time has been the U.S. soccer fan base. Oh, he's our automatic starter. He's our Captain America. He hasn't produced at an international level, hasn't scored from the run of play 
since July of 2019. Um, he he is talented. To go back to an earlier point, very talented. But positionally, I feel like you get a lot more out of Brendan Aronson on the defensive side where he's going to go back, he's going to win a ball and run up and make a play. He's going to drag guys out of space, create space for other people. Pulisic, oftentimes, to your point, Avery, that you talked about, overcomplicates the issue. He has the talent, he knows he does, but he makes it so much harder. That's how he got injured in the Honduras game, is he made things more complicated and then hurt himself. If if Christian Pulisic can simple his play down, and include a defensive work rate that we're seeing from Aronson, then there's a competition. But for me, right now, there's no competition for me. And this is even if we were playing at Azteca. I would walk into Azteca and play Brendan Aronson before Pulisic. No doubt about it for me. And of course, Giovanni Reyna on the other wing. I think he's just an awesome CONCACAF player and one of the most incredibly talented, if not the most talented player in this U.S. pool. Well, and quite frankly, if you look at the club level, Thomas Tuchel views him as a super sub right now. And there's something to be said to that to a certain extent in the sense that, look, if he can't go the full 90, imagine the reaction of the Mexico defenders when you have Kristen Pulisic coming on as a sub yeah, and you already have tired legs in the 60th minute. That's an absolute nightmare for defenses. Yeah. Well, for, for CONCACAF, because I don't think this would work in the World Cup, I think there's a lot to be said for running with the more counterattacking style with some guys that can get some pace out there. And I I could see a fun front six in the in a 4-3-3 with and I I mentioned it earlier but I like the way Busio plays Busio and Adams together, Acosta and Adams together, kind of playing that double pivot, get a little bit more defensive minded there with Reina in front of them and then run your front three out there as Wea, Pepe, and Jordan Morris when he's healthy. That team is going to tear through people with some speed, with some through balls. You've got a lot of good passers in that. That That's a lot of shifts, but I can see what you're saying. That's not a World Cup winning lineup. But that'll eat CONCACAF all day long. Yeah, and that's one of the things we've actually talked about on the podcast. In our last episode, if you remember... If those who are listening remember, we talked about how when it comes to this World Cup qualifying cycle, the guys who are getting you through aren't always the best guys for the World Cup. They're the MLS guys who are going to do the nitty-gritty. They're the fast guys who are going to get in behind these defenses. One thing or another, it may not be the best international roster that we have to compete on a global stage, but it could be the best one that we are providing for a CONCACAF stage. Well, I think it says a lot that one of our best wingers is a guy who's playing out of position. You look at the way that Matthew Hopi played in the Gold Cup, where the guy just plays with absolutely no fear. He's running at guys. You know, he's always trying to do something cheeky. He, he, you know, has a certain swagger, a certain cockiness, confidence, whatever you want to call it about him. Uh, Having somebody like that coming off the bench as well where you never know what you're going to get from him because he is that kind of, you know, wild card, unpredictable type. I mean, to have those kind of weapons, especially in a game against Mexico, is so, so valuable. Yeah. There's a lot of options, that's for sure. And, Spencer, I wanted to kind of go to your point that you had 
what do we do with all these players? I think that's one of the final thoughts I had after this is fans. I've been, I've been very critical of the fans. I feel like U S soccer fan base has turned a little bit toxic on social media, a little, a little bit, a little bit too many gut reactions and a little too many overreactions to things. And if you're offended by my words and listening to this, you should be able to see it. Like, if you're offended, you're probably one of those people that I'm not too thrilled with all the hot takes. And, and I'm sorry, I just, I don't think, and I don't think it's all your fault for anybody listening. I think there's been a definite lack of expectation management by U.S. soccer. We are going through a rebuild process. We are going to have some growing pains. But we're also going to have a lot of names left off. And I, this is where it gets really crazy, and this is the, kind of the final point I have, is we're talking about Pepe like he's locked down the starting role. He's not. He's not. He's not. I mean, he's got four caps. Now, he's got three goals and four caps, but he's got four caps. But he looks like he could do it. Um, but Daryl DK looked like he could do it over the summer. Yeah. He hasn't come back, and he has, again, club minute situation there, whatever. Okay, there's two. Uh, Sergeant is a name that we see coming up that people want back, but he's kind of been out of form. P folk is a guy we want to see really step up. De La Fuente is a guy who's been playing a little bit central at times. Where's he at? Hoppy is a center forward first. Yeah. Where's he? Like we, now we're six deep and we haven't talked about Jesus Ferreira, who we talked about on the show a little bit. He could come in. He's playing well. I he's got two goals and two caps. I mean, that's Cave Cowell. Yeah, and then yeah, then but then those are guys that just have U.S. experience already. Yeah, where's Cade Cowell? Where's Tyler Boyd? Where's um, oh, all Tyler these names Boyd. that we've got coming up that could come in to this squad? We've got six or eight center forwards that people are clamoring for to have come into this team. There's three spots. Yeah, like somebody is going to be left off. Um, Jeremy Bobasi is another guy who got a look and is only 24. I mean, we've got so many names, and I don't think all of these guys, I'm throwing them out there because they're there, they've been in the pool recently, Bearhalter's looked at them. These are guys that have potential. These are guys that probably could and should make moves to Europe and see if they play. Now, I'm not as sold that a forward has to go play in Europe just to succeed at this level. They do need to be able to break down the better defenses, but they're still there. We're we're six, eight, ten guys deep at center forward right now, as true center forwards, and we've never had that. I think and you so, can say the same thing about midfield, quite frankly. You know, yeah. I know he's injured at the moment, but Eric Williamson looked phenomenal in limited oh, yeah. time. Oh. I I really like Hassani Dodson as a box to box guy in this system. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, even somebody like a Moses Nyman who is very very young at the moment we haven't seen paxton pomichol in a while we haven't seen cole bassett for the national team really uh, you mentioned mihailovich a number of times e- even a julian green who seems to be forgotten by everyone who's only 26 right now you know you're just you're not gonna fit every one of yeah. these guys into the national team you can't and and that's a that's a key thing to remember going forward when we start criticizing the coach we are not in practice. We are not in the in the January camp. We don't see all the chemistry that goes on behind the scenes. Just because a guy is the best player, world pedigree, whatever you call it, if 
they don't work with their teammates as well, if they don't have that natural chemistry to play alongside somebody else, if they can't adjust to rotations in the lineup when somebody that they're used to playing in front of or beside of is no longer there, if they struggle to adapt with that, they're probably not going to be around very long. Um, I And the name I want to throw out there for that that's a prime example, I think, is John Anthony Brooks. He's arguably been our best center back, but we have not been able to find him a center back partner to where he can lock down a starting role. I'd argue I'd, that in CONCACAF, he's not in our best 11. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you know, I'm willing to take a pair that includes Zimmerman as oh, a starting yeah. defender if he partners well with whoever's next to him over John Anthony Brooks, who can't seem to find a partner. Like, that center-back partnership is so crucial. Yeah. You go back to the 2014 cycle. We go ways back on that. But Omar Gonzalez and Matt Beza were not our two best defenders. You could make an argument that Gonzalez was up there in top three. Beza was nowhere close to one of our best defenders. But those two had the most natural chemistry, and that's why they started. They worked so well together. They covered for the other guy's deficiencies so well. That's what you want, and that's a good example of what I'm talking about. It's just you've got to look. Who are our guys that are going to play the best together? And we are going to lose some big names. Well, that may not make it. DK may not make it. I don't know. It's going to be who works best with the service that they're going to be getting. That was one of my criticisms with respect to uh, starting Chris Richards as a left center back in that game. I mean, look, we all agree that, um, you know, talent-wise and potential-wise, he's up there with anybody else in this player pool. But A, playing him in his less favored spot and playing him with Miles Robinson, I just, I don't think that they're a complimentary pairing. and, And they met last week. They met last weekend, and you saw that Richards was struggling to pass out of the back as a left-sided player. You know, I think that if you go to a back three like we have at times, would love to see Richards there because that's where he plays, or the the system that he plays in at the club level. Um, But his his talents don't necessarily mesh. I mean... He's fairly athletic. He's not necessarily the best of passers, but he reads the game incredibly well. You know, the same thing can be said for John Anthony Brooks. He's a leader in many ways. He He's dominating physically the best defender that we have in the player pool. But you see the number of times where yeah. either he's not, not covered well by his partner or he steps way out of defense to try and find a pass and then takes far too much time, gets dispossessed, and then suddenly we're on the back foot with him yeah. way, way out of position. It, it's happened too many times where we're seeing the same pattern of play where you just go, you, maybe we just go with guys who are you know arguably less talented but just meld better. Yeah. It's going to be really interesting moving forward in these U.S. camps to see how Burhalter prioritizes the different talent, chemistry, and work rate of these guys because they're all different. They all play a significant role, but inevitably you can only take a certain amount. At the end of the day, only 11 are on the field. We've got to move forward here, but before we go, prediction for this next window, how many points are we getting, and then Blaine, Close us out. Let us know where we can find you and all of your uh, all of your stuff that's going to be being released. Yeah. Uh, prediction for the next one, only two games. What is it? Mexico and Jamaica. Um, that's going to be that's going to be wild in November. 
I want to say we're coming out of that with four points. I just, Mexico's so strong and we're growing so much. I'd like to get the six, but I'm going to say we probably come out with four as a conservative one. Yeah. Depends on what that lineup looks like against Mexico and who's healthy. Really, it comes down to who's healthy at the time. And we've just had so many injuries with our top line guys that it just, I, I don't have a lot of faith that they're all going to be healthy. But again, we've got so many young guys that just are fearless right now that maybe they go in and shock everybody. I just, I can't bet. I, I wouldn't bet on that. Yeah. But I'm hopeful. I, I'd agree. Four points for yeah. me, Avery. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that. I, I think that uh, I don't know why I have this sense, but I feel that Cincinnati can be another Columbus. I think there is something about the the type of atmosphere that you curate. You know, I, I, I think it's a little bit crazy to say, but in areas that you're not necessarily going to get a ton of Mexico fans in, uh, where you can have you know, a more pro us crowd in an environment in a stadium. That's a little bit more favorable to the way that we like to play. Um, you know, not necessarily like a red bull arena. Um, yeah, it, it, it just, every little element helps in qualifying and you get whatever advantage that you can get. I agree. Four points. You heard it here first. The MLSTG podcast. We're predicting that for the next window. When we lose both games, don't come find us. Uh, Blaine, close us out. Remind everybody where they can find you at. Yeah, first, thanks for having me on. I love the show. I'm glad to come back and help out. It's fun to talk U.S. soccer instead of fantasy every once in a while. Yeah. Because if your listeners don't know, I'm one of the fantasy guys around. Um, You can find me over at MLSFantasyBoss.com and on the MLS Fantasy Insider podcast. And I'm all over Twitter with some of that and then we have our own mls fantasy boss discord it's the hot place to go for all your injury news and everything the mls fantasy season is wrapping up quickly i think we've got what four weeks left three weeks left three rounds left to play um i unfortunately didn't make champions league this year it was a hard fight there's been some huge names out there I'm flirting with top 100, and I did not get into one of those automatic qualifiers being top 50 in any round, so you can see how tough it is up there. But if you don't play fantasy, go play fantasy. That's where we learn all these names. That's where we see these guys play in and out every week. Uh, Mihailovic is one of those fantasy guys that's been really strong this year. So if you're not playing fantasy, go play fantasy. Look us up at MLS Fantasy Boss or find him on Twitter and then ask about our Discord. Get over there and join that community because that's really what this is all about. Soccer is about community. We've got a good community in a couple of places, and that's why I do what I do. That's why I come on here. It's fun to talk U.S. soccer because I'm in more MLS-based communities, but it really is all a community thing. And MLSDG, you can find me there anytime you want to. If you want to start an argument, make a hot <laughs> take, I generally respond. Oh, um, I don't he, wield the band respond. hammer over there anymore. Those days are long behind me, so... Call me whatever you want. I don't really care. Um, but start an argument and let's have some fun over there too. I love it. I love it. Go start an <laughs> argument with Blaine. It's so much fun and it'll make you. Yeah, it'll make your blood boil. But it's worth every moment, guys. We really appreciate you, Blaine. We'll hope to have you again soon. Yeah, definitely. Okay, guys, do not go anywhere. We still got stuff to talk about. We still got things to go here. We're gonna be talking the playoff race. East and West, we're coming down to the end of the season. Six games left. What I'm going to do, Avery, what I'm going to throw at you, let's go Eastern Conference first. We have one team that has clinched, 
but there are still six spots up for grabs. And to be completely honest with you, this is going to flip-flop so much over the next couple weeks. Let's look at it real quick. Number one, obviously, who will likely be the Supporter Shields champions in New England Revolution in first place. The only team that is booked and clinched, in fact, their conference at 65 points. And then nearly 20 points below them. That's where we start to have a dogfight. Number two, Nashville. Number three, Philadelphia. Number four, Orlando. All currently hold home playoff spots. The next three, DC, NYCFC, and Montreal, all sitting at 40 points. Every single one of them. And then we've got Atlanta. They're outside the playoffs right now, but sitting at 39 points. The Red Bulls are still creeping in. They've got 37 points. And then Columbus, maybe just a touch out of reach, but I'm still going to put them here. 34 points. There's going to be flip-flops. Between 4th and 10th alone, there's only 8-point difference. And we are getting to the part of the season where there's going to be nothing but 6-point games. What do you got to make of this, this mess of a playoff it run? Is, it it's really interesting looking at the table right now, top to bottom. Cincinnati are the only team officially eliminated, but you, no surprise. Uh, you Sorry, it, Cincinnati fans. There's, <laughs> there's 18 points up for grabs. Toronto were 15 points off a playoff spot. Chicago 13, Houston 13, Dallas 12. They're all effectively eliminated. Uh, I think all but Dallas can be eliminated this coming weekend. Um, interesting stat for you in 2019. Uh, 48 points was enough to make the playoffs in the East, 45 in the West. Wow. So we're right up there at the moment with a lot of these current playoff teams. Uh, Kansas City and Colorado can clinch this weekend in the West. Uh, and looking at the strength of schedule, it is really interesting looking at the teams that are on the outside looking in. I think that Atlanta have the best shot if we're talking about somebody breaking in. And they're in form. Uh, they really are. They are in form. And I think you look at, look, they play Toronto away, NYCFC away, Miami at home, Toronto at home, Red Bulls away, Cincy away. The fact that they play Toronto twice and Miami and Cincinnati, it, it, it's yeah. it, it's pretty darn favorable. Um, you know, Red Bulls have an even split between home games and away games. They have to go to Columbus. They have to go to DC. They have to go to Nashville. I don't think that, you know, puts things in their favor. Uh, the crew, uh, they're, they're six points off a playoff spot, but they get to host Miami. They get to host the Red Bulls. They get to host Orlando and they get to host Chicago. It's four home games out of the possible six. Yeah. We know how much things swing toward home teams. Especially in late MLS. in the season. Especially late in the season. Especially late in the season. And the fact that a number of those teams that they're playing at home are below the playoff line. It's it's looking pretty good for them. Miami, it's maybe neither here nor there. They have to go to Columbus. They're home to Toronto and Cincinnati, which you would think is six points right there. Away to Atlanta, there's no chance that they are winning that game. No. Home to NYCFC and away to New England, I imagine that they're not winning that hey, one either. I, if anything, the only thing I got to say to Miami, and in particular Gonzalo Higuain, is enjoy the vacation, right? I think that's why yeah, Higuain came have your here in the first place. Friend. Yeah, go, go take your smoke break, okay? You got a few months <laughs> to enjoy it. But I really don't think Miami, Chicago, who, by the way, Chicago... I've really loved following this season. I know that they've been 
a train wreck at times and really on fire for whatever reasons. <laughs> Get it fire. I didn't even mean to say that for whatever other reasons, but I don't see Miami, Chicago, Toronto. They're not going to make the playoffs. I don't even think Columbus is, to be honest. I think that the supporter, the reigning, excuse me, the reigning MLS Cup champions are out. That's all but official to me, even though we still have some games left, barring some miracle. For me, the only team in the East that I think plays their way in is Atlanta. But I don't know who comes out. I, I think that there are a couple teams that could potentially play their way out. I think if you look at the schedule of some of the teams that are currently in playoff spots, Montreal are home to Philly, away to Orlando, away to Toronto. And then in between an away trip to Toronto and to Red Bull Arena, they have to play away in the Canadian Cup oh. to Forge FC. That's the semifinal. So there's a potential final in there as well. That's a lot of games in a short span all away from home. And then they do get to host Houston and host Orlando. I think that Montreal are definitely the most likely to fall out of a playoff spot, which is a shame. I think Wilfred Nancy has really got them playing some attractive soccer this season. I I think that uh, MLS is, is... more entertaining and stronger when you have strong Canadian teams in this league. Yeah. Um, it just may not be their year. They're just right on the cusp there. Uh, I'd argue that honestly, Orlando have a pretty mixed bag as well. That's the one I was going to talk about. And they're sitting in a home playoff spot too. Yeah. They're sitting on 42 points, but away to Cincinnati home to Montreal home to new England, away to Columbus home to Nashville and away to Montreal. So that's that's a huge, huge doubleheader with Montreal home and away. Uh, I believe that Montreal beat them 4-2 in Orlando with Orlando getting a player sent off in the first of those three games. Uh, so th- there's, a, there's a very good chance that it could be a direct swap between Montreal and, and Orlando. Yeah. Um, I think that the, the situation... With Philadelphia, I don't necessarily trust. They're on 45 points, which should just be about enough. But they're away to Montreal, away to Minnesota, home to Nashville, away to Toronto, home to Cincinnati, and away to NYCFC. I guarantee they will lose that NYCFC game. Uh, They'll probably maybe draw in Montreal, probably lose to Minnesota. Um, I, I, it, the, it's deceptive the fact that they're in third place right now and on 45 points because I do not feel that the union have played well in the last, I don't know, two months maybe since CCL. Jim Curtin is just not utilizing its yeah. squad depth well enough right now. Uh, the fact that he's signed two guys in Mateus Davo and Jesus Breno who have basically not seen the field. The fact that we have this academy that's producing... Very hey, talented Nerson players. Look good this last weekend. Uh, he's looked great. Uh, I'm a really big fan of Quinn Sullivan. Mm-hmm. You know Jack McGlynn, but these guys aren't really starting games. The, you know the couple games that they have started were uh, on either side of the con- uh, the uh, Champions League matches uh, against New England, one of which I was at. And the funny thing is, they lost both of those games. But I thought the kids played incredibly well. Yeah. So it's I. Just, I have my long-term qualms with Jim Kurt and I won't necessarily get into that, but DC actually probably have the best situation 
home to Nashville, home yeah. to New England, away to NYCFC, home to Red Bull, home to Columbus, away to Toronto. Not the easiest of schedules, but the fact that they have four home games and it's against teams that are in and around them, it's huge, that- huge potential for them to nick points off of other playoff teams and other playoff hopefuls. Um, I want to point out on their schedule, I think that 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 game that they played the Red Bulls at home at the end of the season, that's going to define if they're in or they're out. And that's going to define for the Red Bulls too. They're going to both get to a point where, hey, we need these right here. Whoever wins that one, you're robbing three points of another team. And that's what I love going down this stretch is there's going to be so many of those games where, hey, I'm playing a rival. We both need three points. There's added pressure. There's added heat. And potentially with this with how close the east is home playoff spots yeah we could really see teams swapping places every week between now and the end of the season because things are so tight because all these teams are playing each other that is the one thing that is is a positive i think about the way that the eastern conference is is set up in the last couple of years you know i think there have been criticisms that oh you know the, the union won the the shield last year new england are going to win it this year and you know arguably the east is is easier than the west and so on and so forth but well here, when you get to to a situation where it's this close for spots i think it makes it that much harder than the west yeah i, I would agree and uh, I almost interjected there because I'm going to make you make a dis- difficult decision. I'm going to do the same thing. What teams, before we move to the West and kind of look more deeper at them, what teams beyond New England, they're obviously they're in their own thing. There's six spots for the Eastern Conference. What six teams, and if you're bold enough, you don't have to do this, but if you're bold enough, say them in order from second all the way down to seventh. I, I don't think I'm going to do them in order, but I'll go... New England, Nashville, D.C., Philadelphia, uh, NYCFC. Hold on, how many is that? <laughs> you're, you're at the, the fifth spot right now. So there's okay. two more teams. Um, Atlanta and mm, Montreal. Oh, so you think Montreal still sneaks it? I do because I think they have that double header situation, but I just think with the way that you know Columbus are playing right now on the schedule, I don't think they make it in. I don't think the Red Bulls make it in. Yeah, uh, Orlando could very well play themselves out. So just just so I could make sure that this was clear, we got New England, Nashville, which I agree with. I think those are one and two. DC, Philadelphia. NYCFC, Atlanta, and Montreal. Is that the order you said? Yeah. So Orlando yeah, not, is the no, team out. No particular order necessarily with that, but I think those are going to be the six teams. So Orlando's out for you? Orlando's out for me, yeah. Dang. All right. I, I think there's there's just a, a serious lack of consistency, particularly with their attack this season, where you know, DK's been kind of off. Pato didn't hit. Nani, yeah. when fit, plays pretty well. Um you know, Vanderwater has shown flashes. We see flashes from Akindela, but just you you don't know who it's going to be week to week. And I yeah. think that actually their, their fullbacks coming back from injury almost hurt them a little bit because they were making some nice steam with, you know, Kyle Smith and, and some of the other backups. Uh, yeah. And the fact that they've now kind of 
tried to reintegrate their starters into that back line, it's actually backfired on them. I I think that they're going to... Personally, I think Orlando does enough. I think the playoffs are better with Orlando. They've got quite the crowd. they got players that you just love to watch, love to see. I think with the congested schedule that Montreal has and the con- congested schedule of most of those games being away takes a toll on you. I would love to see Montreal make the playoffs, but for me, I'm not even going to try with the order. The only substitution I would make to you, what you said right there you pull out Montreal, you put in Orlando. Orlando, I think, ends up around the fourth or fifth seed again. Uh, but it's not going to be easy for them down the stretch. That's the East. That's what we're thinking. We got one whole entire conference left. And out of this conference right here, this one's not as close for the home playoff spots. We got Seattle, who've clinched at 57 points. Kansas City and Colorado, respectively, at 52-51. Both, as you mentioned, can clinch this weekend. And then we got Portland with the last home spot at 46 points. Then there is a seven-point gap. I think the top four teams, those are your top four teams. Down the stretch, it's going to be too difficult. Those teams are too good to drop points, or at least on a consistent enough basis to allow anybody to grab a home spot. But the final three spots here are going to be a hunt. We got in fifth, Real Salt Lake. 6th, LA Galaxy, both sitting on 39 points. And then in 7th, the final playoff spot, Minnesota United have 38. But on the doorstep, Vancouver 37, LAFC 34, San Jose 33. The rest of the teams, Dallas, Houston, Austin, Texas is not going to the the playoffs at all. Yeah, no Texas this year. Not bigger in Texas. Um but this is well, gonna the, be, the, the, losses, the losses. The losses. They. Texas. That's true. That's true. <laughs> but when we're looking here, there's six teams that realistically, I, I think San Jose is a little out of it, and I'd even argue LAFC, FC, uh, LAFC, FC. Whoa, that's not their name. LAFC <laughs> could, could, in my opinion, the only reason they're still in it is just because they've got some quality players that you never know what's gonna happen, but. It hasn't connected this season. Carlos Vela is supposed to make a return. That could make things interesting. Um, but what do you got here for these final three spots? There's really like six teams competing for him. Well, there's a really weird contrast. I mean, I think if you look at the teams that are currently in a playoff spot, Portland has obviously A, the best chance, and B, the best schedule. They play the Galaxy away. They play Vancouver at home, Colorado away, San Jose at home. RSL away in Austin at home. The fact that they've got Vancouver and Jose in Austin as those home games, I think that's probably nine points right there. That's more than enough to secure a home playoff spot. Yeah, they're going to get the fourth spot for me. I think that the the Galaxy and Minnesota actually are in a little bit of of a precarious position. I don't necessarily want to make a prediction on RSL if only because you just – don't know which version you're going to get of them this season. It's, it's so absolutely wild. Difficult. But also, looking at their home games, not great. Colorado and Portland and San Jose. Uh, but Chicago away, Dallas away, uh, those should be winnable. They're going to lose to Kansas City away. Uh, looking at the Galaxy, Portland at home, Houston away. 
Dallas at home, Kansas City away, Seattle away, Minnesota at home. I give the Galaxy a chance only because they play both Houston and Dallas. That's probably a guaranteed six well, points right there. Well, for whatever reason, you know how teams in MLS, they just have a kryptonite? Houston have been Galaxy's kryptonite for years. Very true, yeah. Especially at the end of the it, season. It, I mean, look if, at 2018, uh, was it? They All they needed to do was a freaking draw. Look and, at MLS Cup. It, yeah, exactly. I mean, like, there, there's a bunch of things that you got to consider down the stretch. And one of them is, Hey, this team is always pesky. They may on paper win, but I think LA galaxy have a tougher schedule down the stretch than most of the other teams here. Uh, yeah. I think the, the galaxy are definitely at risk. Minnesota is a weird one because I think they've been very good at home this season, but you look at who they have at home, Philadelphia, LAFC, Kansas city. That is not an easy set of games. On the other hand, there are away games, Austin, Vancouver, Galaxy. That Galaxy one, especially that, being the last game of the season, could oh. make or break whether or not both of those teams make the playoffs. But it, it, the wonky thing is looking at the guys who are on the cusp. So I think we both agree that San Jose probably aren't going to make it on, into no. the playoffs. But well, I do argue they probably stay. have the best schedule of, of those three teams. You. LAFC away, obviously a tough one, but Austin at home, Vancouver at home, Dallas at home, and then Portland and RSL away, which are not great. But, I mean, they could potentially win all three of those home games. Um, LAFC, it's tough because, yeah, Vela really hasn't worked out this season, but I think that they're getting into an, uh, a good chemistry in a good situation at the moment. They found this balance with this back three formation. Um, you know, I think that Christian Arango is playing really well right now. Yeah. I think Jose Cifuentes is playing really well right now. It's not the usual cast. It's not, you know, the guys that you would anticipate being the ones who are contributing, but at least they're getting it from somewhere right now. Um, and the, the problem with Vancouver is, again, they're kind of like RSL. You don't really know what, what version, version of Vancouver you're going to get. You know, sometimes they're absolutely stingy. They'll absolutely kill you on set pieces. Brian White is in phenomenal form right now. Oh, yeah. But then, you know, they could go to LAFC and get absolutely smashed. I think it'll, you know, more likely happen in Portland. Uh, yeah. But they have this tendency to just collapse at times. Um, and their schedule is not the best Kansas City at home, Portland away, San Jose away, Minnesota at home, LAFC away, and Seattle at home. I think if we're looking at last day of the season and looking at the teams around them, the fact that they have to beat Seattle potentially to make it into the playoffs makes it tough. I yeah, I I, I just don't think it's going to happen for them. I I actually I want to say the White Caps make it. I want to. Do I think it's going to happen? It is much easier said than done. But I, I, I think, think it that, might be a situation of the teams around them failing that kind of gets them in. That's frankly. what I was going to say. They've got some tough games. But you know what? If you lose a game and the three other teams around you lose a game, you move on to next week and you're still in the same spot. And that's what it is at this point of the season. The team that I think has the best advantage are the teams like Salt Lake and Minnesota where they play Eastern Conference teams. Because if you win, if you lose, it's not going to be as big of, hey, I just lost a game to my Western Conference rival because that game against Vancouver and Minnesota 
I get the LA and Minnesota, that one too, but Minnesota has a bunch of six point games down the season, but they could get helped out by, you know what? We have Philly at home and a Philly that's kind of questionable. Some days they're kind of like a Minnesota team. They're sometimes good. They're sometimes not, but this is going to be incredibly hard to guess. I say the top four, they're going, but when it comes to this, it is so hard to say, and I'm not even going to try at the order because it's going to be too, too close. Decision day in the Western Conference is going to be phenomenal and heartbreaking and just blood pounding. And I'm going to say Salt Lake makes it. I'm a little bit of a, It's a little bit of a homer because I live here, but I think they're going to squeak it in. I don't know where. Um, yeah, I think they could be the seventh seed. They, but Yeah, but I think that they could make the playoffs, which by the way, if you have gone the whole season where everybody had you at the worst or second to worst team to start the season, you had no head coach, you've got no owner, you got no front staff, and you made the playoffs, Salt Lake fans be happy with that. Moving from there, I want to say LA Galaxy, but I don't think they're going to make it. That's my big one here. I think they put into eighth. They're going to be right on the line. They're going to be heartbroken by Minnesota, who I'm not convinced by. I don't know if Minnesota could make it, but I think... Neither am I, but they have players who we know can go off. And, and, and they have a favor, a more favorable schedule against those lower well, teams. Well, and we, we've seen what they can do at home at times. They were much higher up the, the standings earlier in the season, so it hasn't been quite consistent, but... Their uh, home form is actually kind of dipped a little bit. There are times where you're looking at Minnesota and you're going, this is actually a much better team than we thought they were. Uh, I think you look at the the first, uh, I don't know, five games of Franco Frank, Frank Japan. Uh, I think that there are times where Robin Lode and, and Ethan Finley are coming alive. The problem is that most of these guys aren't super consistent. And I think they spent a lot of guys uh, money on guys like Adrian Hanu. Uh, they cut uh, the guy who played with... Oh, Abiyo. Uh, yeah, who DC ended up picking up, and he hasn't really featured. Not done much. Uh, but, it, it, you know, the guys who they anticipated being guys that they were going to lean on and, you know, ride their way to a home playoff spot haven't really paid off. But the guys who are kind of like, you know, been there, done that in the league are, are the ones who are actually pulling it off right now. Here's, here's what I'm going to say. You know what? I take it back. I'm going to make a prediction on spots. Because why not? I've been look. I'm looking at it, and I'm just I'm feeling it. Salt Lake's gonna surprise people. They'll finish fifth. Vancouver finishes sixth. That one I could see flip flopped. Final spot goes to the winner between Minnesota and LA Galaxy on decision day. That one is the winner right there. I think LAFC is out. I think San Jose is out. Um, preferably, and, and to be honest, I think that in weird in it may sound weird i think it's good for the league that lafc doesn't make it because that means next year look bob bradley's in his final contract carlos vela wants to go off to europe this is a team that is kind of in all honesty on the verge of a rebuild with your star player with your new your new potential head coach and i think that it could be really exciting going into next year with lowered expectations uh and and allow for lafc to be more creative well, and they've signed so many academy players. Yeah, they have. And, I mean, like, look at, uh, I, I think it's uh, Bryce Duke. I think he's done 
phenomenal uh, in his appearances. There's other guys as well. Uh, I'm looking uh, the 18 year old uh, Mamadou Fall. He's done a great job at kind of stopping the defense. LFC could make well, a run for it. And he's been but... getting goals as a center back too. I mean, yeah. I think there was a, a game that they won recently where they won 2-1, and it was two goals for Mamadou Fall. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, like, LAFC could play their way back in. Bob Bradley's capable of it, but also they're too inconsistent. And, I, honestly, I pitched this order because I want that decision day drama between Minnesota and LA Galaxy. I think that that, for a final playoff spot, that could be fun. I, I don't think the Galaxy are going to make it in. I, I think we've seen... The good, the bad, and the ugly with them this season. I think that the the injury problems with Chicharito, Jovalich isn't quite what they were really expecting. You don't have a ton of consistency from guys like Cabral and some of their other wing options that they did when they had Christian Pavon. And defensively, it's it depends on the week, quite frankly. I think that, uh, you know, on paper... Guys like Sega Kubali and Revel Revolson were good additions, but I don't know. They might just need an, an you know an actual full off season yep. to get acclimated and for for Greg Venny to really kind of cement things. I mean, the, the I think the fact that they're even in a playoff spot right now compared to where they were last season, and the fact that look, we talked about it multiple times. We said that Greg. Vanny has a full rebuild on his hands. So if they make the playoffs, I think massive, massive success of the season. But I just think that uh, yeah. there is a little bit more consistency in Vancouver. And we've seen teams ride certain players who are in great form to slip into yep. the playoffs. I mean, the number of times that Wando has defied age yeah. for San Jose to make it in, uh, you know, I think that. But Vancouver could very well do that with Brian Ride, White. Ride Brian it's, White. It's weird they've changed formation, and the fact that they're playing a back three and arguably using some of their best attacking players um, as wing backs. I don't love it, it's but working. it's working. You know, Nerwinski in a back three. Um, you know, Brian White and Debra Casado have an, a relationship that's you know paying off right now. Yeah. Um, it could be a one-and-done, and I don't think they'll make a run or anything like that, but I wouldn't be surprised if I'd, Vancouver I'd make the playoffs. I'd love to see Vancouver in the playoffs. I think it makes sense, like, to your point earlier about Montreal when you said that it's just better when the Canadian teams are in the playoffs and Toronto's not going to make it. Montreal's on the verge. Vancouver's on the verge. Yeah, I'd love to see both Canadian teams make it. I don't think Montreal is, but I think Vancouver could. Like you said, there's a bunch of teams that ride a player at the end. Brian White is that guy. If you're Minnesota, you gotta ride Reynoso. You gotta get the best out of him. If you're Salt Lake, it's Demir Krylock, and then LA Galaxy. You got options, but it's definitely, in my opinion, uh, a healthy Chicharito, and you gotta get him the ball. But it's just so much up in the air on these individual performances and these six-point games that are gonna make. Well, the let, let me ask exciting. you something. All right, let's hear Especially it. Especially with where the Red Bulls are sitting right now looking out of the playoffs, how much are they kicking themselves right now for trading Wayne Brian White? Oh, yeah. And especially, I don't even know what they got for him, but I, I don't think that Struber has used the youth as well. He started really well at the beginning of the season. He started using the players that they had there, but he's 
kind of picked his favorites and even though it's not working it's just what he does and I feel bad I don't expect a lot from the Red Bulls and a lot of that goes back to that move of Brian White and Vancouver got to be counting their lucky stars they got to steal right there and uh and that's with your uh most expensive player Lucas Cavallini not performing for you you got Brian White so it's an interesting situation going on there going to be really really fun to see man that's a lot of that's a lot of teams there with the playoff <laughs> races here it is exciting we got six games to go guys that's going to start we're going to be you know doing all the fancy editing and stuff tonight it is going to be releasing on saturday all day we got games sunday we got games for you to be able to watch and they are going to mean a ton I'm going to point you at the Real Salt Lake Colorado game just because that's a Rocky Mountain Cup. It's an example like I was talking about earlier with a, hey, we got a team that's a kryptonite even though they're lower in the standings. Real Salt Lake is lower in the standings, but for the longest time they have been the Colorado Rapids kryptonite. But this is a Rapids revamp that have been doing pretty well. They did uh, beat Salt Lake earlier at home, but now you're back where you lost 3-0 just two months ago. That's going to be fun. Some other games that could be fun this weekend are are obviously everywhere because, like we said, the six-point schedule mayhem. But what's one that maybe sticks out to you, Avery? I, I've got another one. Oh, you're on mute. By the way, I think that the, uh, the Red Bulls NYCFC game is actually rescheduled to this weekend, well, at least when yep. I looked Sunday on morning. Google. Um, uh, that might be the one for me because yeah. I think the, the cascade effect that that can potentially have on the rest of the Eastern conference right now. Um, especially because I, I'm not necessarily so confident in NYCFC this season. I think that they spend a lot of money on a lot of guys who on paper should probably be playing in Europe. Um, but the end product hasn't necessarily been there and uh, Anton Tennerholm uh, did in his, uh, not his ACL, but his Achilles. So oh, yeah. I have no idea who's going to play it right back, quite frankly. Um, so that's potentially a huge loss, not just defensively, but I mean, he's one of their best offensive players as a right back. True. That's going to be a fun game to watch. And it's going to have so much more value going into this last stretch of the season. Guys, we love being back on this podcast. Obviously, we're a little more irregular, but we want to make sure that at the end of the season, we're keeping you up to date on the latest content, the latest playoff races as we get closer and closer to Decision Day. Uh, as always, guys, be sure to follow us on the social medias at the MLSDG Podcast, both Instagram, Twitter, and of course, the Major League Soccer Discussion Group on Facebook. None of this, none of this would be possible without you guys. We appreciate all of you. And as always, this is the MLSDG Podcast for the fans, by the fans. We love you, everybody. Have a fantastic rest of your day.